Welcome, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Stock Market Live. You're joining, hanging out with Daniel Snyder, Austin Hankwitz. We have special guest Bertrand Seguin joining us today from App Economy Portfolio. We've got a lot to talk about, right? Earnings season is coming to a close. What is going on with crypto? Holy cow. If you're watching any of that news, it's pretty interesting if you ask me. Obviously, let's go ahead and give some shout outs. Man, I love all the people that show up right on time. Look at this. This this list is growing week over week. Week over week. I love it. Obviously, everyone, thanks for joining us, hanging out with us for this hour. Obviously, it has to be said, um, join the conversation in the chat, right? Like, let us know what you're thinking. Point things out about metrics or whatever else that you might be watching yourself when it comes to these companies uh, that we talk about. And if you have any questions for our guests, leave them in the chat and we'll have him answer as we're discussing all of this right now during the hour. Um, but I have something I want to ask you real quick, Austin, at the top yeah, let's of do the it. show. So I just saw this come across my feed the other day. Credit card debt in the United States has hit an all-time high of $930 billion for the Federal Reserve. Are we kind of getting pushed into the corner of the wall? Like, is, this can't be a good sign, right? No way. It's not a good sign at all. And actually, I don't know if you saw this in my uh, my post I had shared on my Seeking Alpha Cashflow Freaks. We do this weekend review every Sunday. And we had quoted, I think it was like the retail foundation. It's it's these experts that are telling you where people are spending their money, right? And they were guiding to what the holiday shopping was going to look like. And weirdly enough, if you compare what Amazon's tone is, PayPal's tone, MasterCard's tone on spending habits and projections against this sort of foundation's projections, they're very different, right? Amazon's over here saying that we're only expecting an extra 17 billion during the holiday season for Q4. PayPal saying, you know, it's maybe mid single digits at best, where this retail foundation is saying high single digits, low double digits for e-commerce, but they're saying a lot of that spending is going to be supplemented and catalyzed by tapping into your savings account and swiping that credit card, right? So it's it's just really alarming. It's just really alarming to, to, to me to think that, you know, our savings rate is at a multi-decade low, but our credit card debt is at a multi-decade high. It's, it's something's got to give here. And I'm, I'm worried to see what that outcome might be. Yeah, I have the exact same thought. Well, not the exact same thoughts, but pretty similar thoughts of like thinking about, well, okay, sure, we're hitting all-time highs. People are putting a lot more on credit. We know savings coming down. We know interest rates are going up, which is where I'm kind of like thinking forward of like, are people going to get a horrible wake-up call when they start to see those interest payments continue to climb and continue to eat away and eventually be like, don't know what to do. Can't pay you anymore. You're, you know, you gave me the credit line. It's on you now. Um, something that I'm keeping in mind, but also the inflation aspect of it is like things do cost more. And if people are just so used to buying after this last two years of free money, they've obviously gotten into a habit and it's like, we got to break that habit. And I think that's what we're trying to see is like, is this going to be a, a hard landing or a soft landing? I think this is hundred percent. I think it's really, really tough too, to think like, and it's actually pretty funny. My, my girlfriend's mom had to, you know, put something on a credit card. I think it was a, a surgery for a pet or something. And it was going to be a couple thousand dollars. And she's like, okay, I swiped the card, all good, paid off in a couple months. You know, that's, that's what credit cards are for, for a lot of people. And then she goes, 
But then I realized I don't think I want to do it anymore because the last time I checked my APY on the credit card was like, you know, 22%. But I just looked at it just to confirm this go around and it's 36%. What's going on here, right? And that's the Federal Reserve raising those interest rates. So it's 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 getting to the point where, you know, I'm not the, the person to argue one way or another, but some people might say it could be even predatory feeling and others are just kind of really confused. So to your point, right, it's like, there's going to be a wake up call. And unfortunately, it, people won't wake up until it's too late, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing with, with uh, you go back and look at the, the GFC, right? Global financial crisis. It was a rude wake up call. And it's like, are we going to see that within the credit side of things coming down the line? Hopefully not. But um, obviously, we're going to switch things up in the format of the show a little bit this week. We have a great guest that we have to get to. He's He's been on before, but we had to bring him back because he's been doubling down with this service. He's been putting out these great data visualizations that I think is really going to be impactful for all of you here today watching and hanging out with us. Um, I mean, and it's the tech earnings, right? It's your Apples, it's your Amazons, it's your Metas, it's your Googles. It's, it's the companies that people are still keeping an eye on, even though interest rates are climbing, markets are pulling back. We're in a bear market, obviously. We're seeing how interest rates, we're seeing layoffs happen through the tech industry. So it's something we definitely want to touch on, as well as we're going to touch on Disney, right? Because I still personally love the company a ton. I think we might get a generational buying opportunity here in the future if this thing continues to pull back. I mean, it's we get, we're going to get into it. But before we do that, let's go ahead and kick things off with initial thoughts bullish or bearish austin go ahead and kick us off this week what do we got okay so here's the deal everyone i had i didn't think about this whenever i was creating my my three thoughts but after the second one and the first one were so similar i realized that the third one i can just i'll find it and i did find it so the theme for this week's initial thoughts is ceo transitions right? Companies having a CEO, and now maybe they have a different CEO. And you mentioned the crypto stuff. So I do want to get your thoughts on what was going on there, right? So Binance acquired FTX yesterday after some intense drama causing Bitcoin to spiral down to $17,000. FTX's coin FTT lost 80% of its value. Are you bullish or bearish on Binance? And now the fact that Binance is this larger conglomerate that assuming the deal goes through, right, it's non-binding, but assuming the deal goes through is going to be a massive, massive exchange. All right. So this is fun for me because I've been bearish on crypto um, for a long time. I mean, that's just me personally, just to put that out there. So if everybody's like, oh, you're wrong, just so I've never bought into it. Uh, funny you bring that up though. So an hour ago, so for those of you that don't know, obviously within Seeking Alpha, we have a lot of people that are passionate about the markets. We've, we have people that care about Forex. We have people that care about the bond yields and, and what happens in the bond market. We have people that care about cryptocurrencies. So we actually have a cryptocurrency Slack channel where a couple of the people here, we all interact and we talk about what's going on. And actually just about an hour ago, I don't know if you saw this, probably not with how you were talking about it, but Bitcoin Magazine referencing Coindesk says breaking news binance strongly considering dropping out of the ftx deal after looking at the financials because they had a non-binding letter of intent non-binding letter of intent is i mean they're talking about like taking crowns and putting on a napkin right like it, it doesn't mean anything it's not binding like you're just doing it to try to probably salvage some of your token prices for the near run like i don't know i i'm bearish on it I have so many thoughts about how this guy got drunk on his own power, yeah, printing yeah. his own tokens as if he was a central bank, which he's not. This ruins the trust of everything going on in the crypto world. Um, actually, take a quick moment. I'm going to go ahead and plug this. I mentioned it last week. Guys, next week, we are having a crypto webinar. I'm going to ask Josh, go ahead and throw a link in the chat if you wouldn't mind. 
Uh, this is with Omed, Omid Malikin, sorry. He's the adjunct professor over at Columbia Business School. He used to work at City Ventures, worked at Citibank. Guy knows his stuff. If you want to join us and get your questions answered about what's happening in crypto right now, he's the guy to do it. So join us next Tuesday. That's uh, November 15th. And I think that's at 2 p.m. Eastern, if I remember right. Go ahead and join us for that hour. Um, but yeah, overall, I mean, I think FTX is just going to become another one of those names that gets lost in history, in all honesty. I got that. No, I, I, I think you're, I think you're on the money, right? It's, it's kind of funny because, you know, we're, we're opposites in the fact that I got exposed to cryptocurrency when I was in high school, right? And I'm 26 now. And I was, you know, buying the Bitcoin, I was buying the, the chain link and the XRPs and whatever the heck, you know, people want to think of. Um, but I remember to the point of Binance, like, when I first started using it, Binance was like this Chinese exchange that was really kind of like, what's going on, kind of scary. But what I really respected was the transparency of their CEO, something that I don't think Sam Bankman-Fried was able to um, lean into enough. Uh, their, Binance's CEO, CZ, uh, the two uh, letters CZ is, is what he goes by. He was always very transparent with the books. 99.9% .9 of um, all the money that they, I mean, it was very proof of reserves, very proof to show that we're not doing anything crazy with your money. And to your point, you know, getting drunk, you know, getting high on your own supply, I feel like that's what Sam Bankman freed. We saw that happen with, uh, what was it, Three Arrows Capital, Celsius, uh, I mean, all these people just get greedy, yeah. right? They get greedy. Yeah. And it's, it's just, it's rare to see uh, a guy be so transparent from day one. And so, and this I is am, the modern version of a run on a bank. If you think oh, about absolutely it. Like, it is. all of this absolutely has happened in history before, but it was with actual fiat money. And so mm -hmm. you're just like, you tell me crypto is so different. Why are we seeing history repeat itself? Absolutely. Okay. Next one I got for you here. So yeah. sticking on this theme of CEOs, right? Cole's CEO is resigning to join Levi Strauss in January. I think she's smart. I think she's a visionary. Uh, she built Starbucks over the last 17 years. She did marketing for Procter and Gamble, and when she took the reins as uh, at at Kohl's, she you know quickly spurred up this awesome partnership with Amazon. So you can come into the Kohl's department store, return your Amazon, uh, you know, good, get, get a little bit of Kohl's cash. You're walking through the store, you might buy something. Uh, she she got Sephora to to leave J.C. Penney to come to Kohl's, right? So she's very smart. Uh, bullish or bearish now that Kohl's has the, the CEO of Kohl's has left to go somewhere else. I want to get bearish your thoughts on and I'll tell you what the market's thinking because the market is probably going to disagree with you, but let's hear what you got to say, Daniel. Bear, bearish on Kohl's, a CEO moving over to Levi though. Um, I mean, where's <sighs> management makes a lot, right? Management is definitely a huge part when it comes to evaluating companies. How, but so she's been the one going through this whole Kohl's ordeal, and she's the she's been the one battling against all the investors wanting them to to sell off pretty much all of their real estate yep. assets. So she's yep. dealing with all of this, and now Levi wants her. Um, I'm gonna say bearish, bearish. Yeah, yeah it it doesn't sound appealing to me. So what's interesting is when I was looking at all this, apparently. The market, the uh, I don't I don't know the specific name of the hedge fund, right? But these activist investors very much don't like Cole's current CEO. I forget her name, but um, they very much don't like her. They don't like her management style. They don't like the way that she handled this buyout from um, the company that owns Vitamin Shop for I think it was going to be eight billion dollars, right? They very much don't like what she's doing. And Cole's stock price moved up. I think it was five or six percent after the news of her leaving. 
So it's, it's just really interesting to see that despite someone coming in with so much experience and having some really cool, you know, partnership and strategic ideas with Amazon and Sephora, how the activist investors can just say, Hey, you know what? We, we get it, but get out of here. We don't watch it. Right. Who's next. Yeah. That's a great point. All right. So last one I have for you, another CEO hopping ship, moving around Adidas, right? Adidas just hired Bjorn Golden as their new CEO. He used to be the CEO of Puma uh, to take the reins after they lost a lot of market share in China, plus help them navigate this like Yeezy brand kind of thing going on that, that, that uh, they've got to figure out. The market loved the idea, right? As Golden turned around Puma, uh, deep understanding of the market with fashion and shoes has a great network. Are we now bullish or bearish on Adidas after this new CEO change? Well, you know, I was from the other week. I'm already bullish still on Adidas. Adidas. Right? Let's say it right. Let's say it right. Adidas. I'm already bullish on Adidas. I think this is a great move for them. I think for them to get the the that management to come over to Adidas. I mean, I think you're going to see what did Puma do right? Puma has crushed it within the football world, right? Like they have that whole sports complex. There's, there's still a lot of fans, a lot of revenue. Everything's brought out of that. Um, Adidas has kind of gone up and down in waves over the years. I think this move right here will continue to help Adidas in the future and continue the bullish momentum behind them. I love it, man. I agree with you entirely. And I still can't get past the fact that you call it Adidas. I've, <laughs> I've seen it a couple times. the name of the company, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's Adidas. Right, and we always say Adidas, but yeah. All right. So let's dive into it. Also, before I, I give you the three for this week, um, I want to ask everybody that's here hanging out with us. Do any of you going back to the crypto thing? Because actually, I was going to ask you about this as well. Um, and I'll just kind of switch it up a little bit. But do any of you here with us today own any crypto? Have you ever owned crypto? Do you still own it? Will you buy it here? Do you have tokens? What do you think about it? Let us know in the chat. If we want to get some um opinions from you guys while you're here as well and beyond so, that too i think something we talked about daniel with the whole crypto theme of that was a couple of weeks ago i think there was a survey that like 40 or 50 percent of people wanted this in their 401ks and in their retirement if you're one of those people too in the chat i would love to hear if if you agree with that you know do you want crypto to be a part of your retirement plan yeah let us know so all right first up on deck obviously breaking news breaking headline news this morning meta you know where I'm going with this. Laying off 13% of its workforce, that's 11,000 employees. Is this bullish? So we just saw what the stock has done today. I mean, the stock's been rising. Is this bullish or bearish? What do you think? I, I think it's bullish, right? So I kind of have some prepared notes for what we're going to talk about later with Meta. And we're going to get into that. I'm actually kind of excited to share because I don't think enough people are talking about the point I'm going to share later. But so this is what I'm thinking, right? Whenever I looked at Google's recent earnings, uh, you know, they report their headcount and Google's headcount went from, I think it was 150,000 to 190,000. And, and I'm just like, how do you go from so much be like, where is this bloat? What's going on here? Like, why are we hiring so many people? Your revenue is certainly not following this. And so, you know, I think it takes a lot of just self-awareness, reflection to say, hey, I might have overhired as a company, right? And I think that's what Mark Zuckerberg has done. He's realized like, if we want to be able to check these boxes, if we want to be able to spend $100 billion in 2023 on CapEx, on AI, on servers, on, you know, metaverse, whatever it is, um, we need to get rid of some people because they, it's just, it's bloat, right? So uh, I, I'm bullish on on Meta after them, uh, you know, unfortunately letting go 11,000 people, as weird as that sounds. But I do think that my rationale will be more, ex you know, better explained here as we uh, talk more with our guests uh, about them, but bullish on Meta. 
Cool, cool. All right, up next, starting next month, Airbnb is going to show the final price to users up front when they search for places to stay. I know, dude, that's the exact reaction I had. I'm like, why is not everybody doing this already, guys? We're about to enter 2023. Why are we still hiding prices with cleaning fees and taxes and all this stuff? Just show me the price up front. Bullish or bearish? So bullish. So, so bullish. I don't know how many times I've hopped on Airbnb and I'm like, oh, I want to stay in this cabin or do this cute little thing. And I'm like, $280 in a cleaning fee. What's going on here? I thought this was this, this, or that. And I would argue that a lot of the backlash that they've received on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok has been people saying, hey, why are we hiding the cleaning fees? What are these cleaning fees? What I understand, like you have to clean your place, but why are we charging hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars? And why don't you tell me that up front, right? So I think that I'm not saying the sentiment of Airbnb has flipped negative over the coming, you know, last quarter or two, but I will say that this kind of moved to, towards transparency as well as I think, you know, they're doing stuff with uh, the Wi-Fi speeds, being able to test those ahead of time, right? Just a move toward transparency is, is certainly great. I think it's going to help them in the long run. So, so bullish on, on that idea. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Last up, I just pulled this one uh, since we did the crypto. So we're going to dive into Disney here in a little bit on the episode, but I'm, I'm wondering your thoughts on this because everybody's trying to think about how is Disney going to innovate in the future with everything about augmented reality and virtual reality. And uh, their CEO, uh, Bob Chapek, says that virtual parks won't replace in-person experiences. So being the entertainment and creative company they are, obviously they're going to have to design something really awesome for that space. Do you think potentially that it might pull people away from the parks if they have a different experience within virtual reality and augmented reality? Would you be bullish or bearish on that? I don't think it would pull people away from the parks. So I haven't been to Disney. Uh, I did a Disney cruise when I was like in third grade, right? But I haven't like been to any Disney parks, but I did go to Universal Studios in September, October, right? It was, it was about two months ago. And it was cool, man. It was the first time I'd been to a theme park and it was really cool. I rode those rides. I smelled the smells. I ate the foods. I saw the people. I high-fived the, you know, it was cool. And despite, you know, putting on a headset or you know, whatever's going on for the VR, AR, all that fun stuff, that's cool. You can do it at your own house. Maybe it's something you really love. If you're a big, you know, true fan of Disney, that's something you want to double down on and spend the money. And I'd even argue that, you know, some of the like, you know, the movies they make is, is kind of like virtual reality, you know, vibes. But long story short is I don't think that if you're wearing a headset and offering VR, AR type uh, solutions to your customers, that that's at all going to pull away from the let's go to the park itself feeling. I think that's a deep rooted feeling a lot of people get when they go to these parks. Disney's done a really good job of branding their, their, themselves and with the smells specifically, right? When we smell something, it reminds us of something cool and they've done a really good job uh, of that. So bullish on Disney's able uh, ability to do, do both at the same time. All right, there you go. Great take. There you go. Bullish bears. All right. So let's go ahead and dive. I want to dive into some of this chat. We're about to get a bit trend here in a second, but going back to the cryptos, we have Dan that says he's never touched cryptos. Um, Stephanie says that she's owned a few cryptos. She started investing in Bitcoin when it was at 7,000. Stephanie, do you still own that? I'm just kind of curious. Let us know. Uh, Colt says, yes, back when it was about 9K, but I only use funds that I can use that I can lose 100% of. My man, Colt. I that would was... approach it if yep, I lost smart crypto, man. but I don't. Um, obviously, you know my point on that. Bridget says doesn't own any uh, crypto. Uh, Craig says no retirement involvement. Doubled investment years ago. Too volatile for me. Definitely. I mean, yeah, it's like the volatility of crypto is like hundreds and hundreds of percent compared to some of the stocks in the market. I mean, it's crazy. 
Um, Lindy says, yes, all cash position now on local exchange, considering withdrawing the bank account until storm settles down. Lindy, when do you think the storm will settle down is the question, right? Um, let's see who else we're here. We got Muhammad says less than 5% of my portfolio is crypto, mainly Ethereum purchased around $200. Don't plan on having any more exposure than this unless it grows organic. I think that's, see, that's what I'm always telling people, man. If I get these questions on Austin crypto, yes, no, what do I do? I say, listen, man, five to 15% of your total investment portfolio, I think is a really fair kind of like carve out depending on your risk, right? If you're really young, you're risky, maybe you know, 10, 15, I get it. But you know, if you're kind of risk averse, 5% total, I'm talking the equity in your house. I'm talking about, you know, everything that, that's kind of your net worth, right? 5%, 15% in that range, I think is perfect. So shout out to Muhammad here for uh, playing it safe. A little play money on the side. Theodora says, I own Ethereum and one inch. Never heard of that one before because all prices just dropped about 16%. Uh, Colt, uh, I as a millennial have switched to hotel travel and rarely do Airbnbs now. It used to be exclusively Airbnb when traveling. That That's interesting to me because um, that was a big thing. Is like, was Airbnb going to be the hotel killer? Do you remember that conversation a few years back? Like I, I was living in Los Angeles at the time and Los Angeles as a city was like, Hey, we need to take care of this because Airbnbs were popping up all over the place. And so if you didn't get permitted by the city, you couldn't operate an Airbnb and then you could only operate it so many days. Do you remember when all this was happening? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely do. And they were protecting the hotels. Christian says, uh, agree that Disney theme parks and VR metaverse type Disney experiences are complimentary. Yeah, I think theme, I think you're right. Like, I think theme parks still have that certain element, whether you're going for the characters or you're going for the specific types of food, right? You can't taste food in the metaverse. Um, they have the Dole Whip at Magic Kingdom down in Orlando, and I think Disneyland has it as well out in California. Um, I mean, there's there is a lot of experiences. You can't really feel that true roller coaster, you know, G force and, and adrenaline rush. I don't think uh, that you could get in metaverse VR. I think it's just going to be a different types of experiences this is going to be pretty interesting actually i don't know if you saw this disney on their platform already kind of did they did a short film recently i forget what it was called i'll have to find it um so i can tell you guys but it's like during the short film on the movie that you're watching on disney plus you take your phone and you hold it up to the screen and like a waterfall comes out like it's like like an ar kind of scenario so they're working on stuff like that which i think is going to be more immersive as you're watching movies um, but I agree about the theme park stuff. So, all right. Well, we've taken way too long. Let's go ahead and bring Bertrand Segwin into the conversation. This guy, guys, he's the real deal. Like he's, he quit his job just to do this. I mean, his data, the way he breaks everything down, the way he's, di he's diving not only into tech, but he's doing other things outside of tech. But um, obviously, ex-Silicon Valley, Bertrand, thanks for being back with us. Obviously, the people love you. I mean, you can hear him right there. They love you. Thanks for coming back <laughs> on the show. Thanks, Daniel, Austin, as well. Good to see you guys. So we're really happy to be here. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for taking the time. So obviously, just want to remind everybody, as we're having a conversation right here, if you have any questions that pop up in your head, your head, if you have any questions for Bertrand, we can obviously ask them right here. So make sure you do that. And I'm, we're going to dive right in, right? So Josh, let's go ahead and throw up the first slide we have here today with us. Um, and you have this whole thing, how they make money, right? And you do these beautiful kind of graphs, and it breaks down like where the revenue comes from from what's the operating expenses, what's the profit, or do they have profit? And I think first, I want to dive into Disney before we get into all the tech names. So Josh, go ahead and go to the next slide. We're just going to take a quick look at the Disney updated rating summary. These are from today, even after the earnings call yesterday. So keep that in mind. The quant has a strong buy. Wall Street 
uh, analysts and Seeking Alpha authors both still have buys on the stock at this time. And let's go ahead and look at the factor grades real quick, Josh. Next slide. So the valuation is a D. Growth is still an A. Profitability is still an A. Momentum is still a B plus. Revisions are still a B minus. But this next slide is what I want to make sure everybody really takes a moment to look at. Go ahead and switch over to this next slide. And maybe Bertrand, why don't you just kind of like break down where the idea of creating these graphs and, and you know, what should people kind of focus on while they're looking at this? Give us a rundown. Yeah, um, you know, I think it was um, a year ago or something, I came across a Disney chart, actually. I think it was from Charter that was using the Sankey diagrams that you see here. They were breaking down the revenue side. And I, I realized at the time, maybe there is something more we can do here where we not only break the, the revenue inflows, but also the outflows, right? Where does the money go? Uh, how much is left at the end of the quarter, right? So uh, as a finance guy, I, there are things I look for, you know, like the revenue growth year over year or the margin uh, uptick or downtick. All those things I figured I could implement them in one single view. Uh, you know, it takes a long time to review earnings. We all look at them. So this is a way really to get straight to the point and to digest in seconds uh, what would normally take uh, several hours to really uh, get into the details. So uh, Disney is a great example for that because they have so many different segments, right? So many business units uh, that it really helps digest the, the entire operations. Uh, the way the the way to look at Disney is so interesting because uh, this is something I wrote about previously on Seeking Alpha. There is this uh, concept from uh, Schumpeter, which is a, a late economist from Austria, who said uh, who talked about creative destruction, right? And creative destruction is when you have a, an innovation that takes over the previous one and renders it obsolete, right? Uh, and so in the case of Disney, this is exactly what's going on, the concept of creative destruction, because there is the, the headline about direct to consumer, which is all the apps we, we know and love that we can subscribe to directly, Disney Plus, Hulu, or ESPN Plus. Those are the, the new growth engine potentially for Disney. But of course, what they do in the process is that they are not just a catalyst, they are also uh, eating away at other segments, namely linear networks, so cable TV, of course, going down uh, to and to the left for the foreseeable future. This is going to be down to zero eventually, right, if we really project ourselves far in the future, uh, but also content sales and licensing. So those are the theatrical releases uh, that make money, you know, uh, people go less to the theater because they have access to all this great content at home. So really, direct-to-consumer, is there is this cannibalistic uh, shift, right, where uh, you can see the line direct-to-consumer eating away at linear networks and eating away at content sales and licensing. And so that's the top part you see here that's uh, called media and entertainment. Think of it like all digital businesses, right? Um, yeah. So overall, media and entertainment is actually going down year over year, despite direct-to-consumer's growth because other segments are suffering in the process. And so if you invest in Disney thinking, oh, Disney Plus is going to crush everybody, remember that there are legacy businesses that are suffering in the process within the same company, right? So this is important to keep in mind. Uh, at the bottom, I show a different shade of blue, the, the other businesses, which are uh, more the physical realm. So the parks you, were, you guys were just uh, talked about, 
but also consumer products. Those are the toys, figurines, collectibles, you name it. Uh, and so parks, it looked good this quarter because it was uh, it had favorable comps, right? Last year with COVID, the parks were actually uh, not doing so great. So uh, a way to look at it, I was just checking, parks and experiences were $6 billion of revenue uh, this quarter. If you compare to 2019, so pre-COVID, it's actually down 9%. So they are not back yet to where they were uh, pre-COVID. So there's nothing to really celebrate here. Historically, Disney is a kind of a no-growth company, right? This has been a low single-digit uh, growth, but the margins were pretty great, around 20-plus percent operating margin. And so what's going on here? You can see that from the revenue a black uh, bar in the middle, uh, the cost and expenses that I packed together, they are uh, uh, cost uh, of revenue, but also operating expenses. What is left at the end is only... 2% operating margin right now, uh, very, very thin margin. And so just to have fun and to try to break it down, uh, there is on a non-gap basis. So if you reincorporate costs that are not really allocated uh, to uh, either uh, segments, you can get back to the adjusted margins, which allows us to see, okay, what businesses exactly brings in the money, right? And so that's how you know that parks are still doing good, 20% of adjusted margin. Uh, meanwhile, the media segment is basically operating at a just break even adjusted margin, which is really a loss on a gap basis. And why is that? It's because while linear TV continues to be a profitable business, the entire profitability is uh, destroyed by the investments that Disney makes in direct to consumer and in the studios. So mm -hmm. it, we cannot jump to conclusion just looking at one segment. You know, this is something Peter Lynch talked about very often about if you like a piece of, of a business, a product maybe they do, you have to zoom out and look at the entire business to understand uh, what moves in and out. Um, and so uh, I'm going to pause here maybe for a second, but just uh, this is really how a, a good way to zoom out and look at the entire income statement. Yeah, I love that. I also think it's worth pointing out, you know, obviously you mentioned the thing about the parks, right? Comparing it back to 2019, but if they're doing 6 billion right now and they're still dealing with the COVID stuff and the lockdowns and the Shanghai parks and so, like they're not fully reopened. So that's that's pretty promising. Austin, I got to I got to ask you cuz I know you were diving into the earnings and looking everything over. What's your thoughts about what's going on with Disney right now? Yeah, so you know, got a couple of notes here. So they're how I saw it, right? Is their Q3 earnings uh, were kind of disappointing, right? Um, revenue and operating income were both below expectations from from Wall Street. However, Disney Plus added 12.1 million uh, new users, right? And that was a, a beat on expectations. The guidance they provided, though, on both revenue and operating income for next year came in below, but I think a lot of that had to do with, you know, this weird choppy advertiser, you know, kind of market we're going to be seeing uh, as a recession potentially looms. Um, but I, you know, I think a lot of the headlines were painting a pretty grim, grim picture. And I don't think it's as bad as people might be, you know, painting it out to look. Um, underlying theme park demand remains healthy. Uh, their operating miss wasn't due to moderating demand, but you know, this one-off item, right, the cruise ship. Um, unless everything goes right for Disney though in 2023, which it's kind of hard to think everything's going to go right, assuming, you know, the macro. Uh, yeah, I, I think if that there's they're, a recession, they're, they're obviously going to get hit. Yeah, I think, I think, I think, yeah. you know, there's a lot of good reasons to be excited, but I do think that, you know, their stock price is definitely going to see some volatility. 
I agree with you. And that's what I said at the top of the show. I think this is going to be a generational opportunity for those of you that are watching Disney in this moment, right? It, it, stock might not bottom until next year, especially if we get hit by a recession. But I think the thing that they do have going for them, just to point out, uh, CFO, shoot, what's her name? Christine McCarthy was talking about on the earnings call about how operating losses are going to improve by 200 million next quarter on the streaming arm. And then even if people go into this ad tier, right? We talked a lot back when I worked there is like the CPM cost that they get to charge as a company with the quality brand and the audience reach they have. If people are going to that ad tier, D to C could potentially become profitable a lot faster than 2024 in my opinion, because their CPM levels are so high. So something to keep in mind there that could be a great positive for them or potentially help balance out the destruction they might see in parks and cruises and everything else if we have a recession. Um, that's a that's a great point, Daniel. And you know the I mean, I'm not in, an investor in Disney, but I'm an investor in the trade desk. It's actually my largest position, and they are really the ad tech that powers uh, the D2C arm of Disney. And I think it's extremely promising on the connected TV side. So it's a great point. And you know, Shapek mentioned that D2C would be profitable theoretically by 2024. So two years from now, we revisit, you know, and maybe uh, even though we have a creative destruction. There is creative in that concept, so they are generating value eventually uh, on this segment uh, for the entire media operations. Yeah, for sure. And I'm just going to take a quick moment before we move on to meta just to pull up the chart real quick that we're looking at just to see where those moving averages are. Obviously, a huge gap down today with the earnings that we got last night. You hate to see it. You really do with a company that's been around for so long and is loved by so many. Um, obviously, in a significant downtrend, has been for a while but it also hit a, remember when it hit this high of $203 a share when everybody was freaking out about how fast DTC was, was growing last year. Um, so, I mean, look, it, it, new CEO, new management, right, Austin? Like we were talking about that, Bob Iger and the Bob Chapek shift recently happened, management, new, new business practices or new department arms, as you're talking about Bertrand, about how, you know, they're cannibalizing their legacy platforms. Um, as they're going into this D2C shift. So it's kind of the state of Disney right now. Let's go ahead and move over to Meta if we can. Josh, let's go ahead and throw up the rating summary real quick and we'll just push right through this so that we can get to the chart and check out um, what Bertrand brought us. So rating summary, obviously, for Meta, Seeking Alpha authors, Wall Street analysts are both a buy on the stock. The quant holding system has a hold right now. Let's look at the factor grades. Obviously, valuation is a where am i sorry b minus growth is an f profitability a plus momentum is a d minus and revisions are a c minus and let's go ahead and go to the next slide all right so here we go looking at another chart i mean it just looks so pretty i'm sorry oh, i love this this is exactly color what coding of thank green you for profit the red for just stop losing me money <laughs> the blue and everything else i love how you did the four family of apps right there on the left side as well let's keep what? this up too because i definitely want to talk toward this but yeah go ahead go ahead bertrand what are we looking at here sure uh so it's uh you know we talk about the metaverse a lot uh with meta with the name change and, and everything so this chart was very useful for me to realize how small reality lab is you know in a visual format so you have two two main segments right that people need to keep in mind when looking at meta one is called family of apps so those are the four apps you see on the left of the screen and the other segment is reality labs which is the hardware and software related to the metaverse so meta quest there's also portal uh, if you ever use that i haven't uh, but uh, the software related to that would be uh, Horizon, which is the, the place where people can hang out 
uh, on, uh, on MetaQuest. So uh, it, very much so 98% of the revenue of the company is still family of apps, still advertising. So uh, this is very, very early days. Even if Reality Labs eventually succeeds, it will take years for it to be uh, accredited to the business as a whole. Um, Facebook historically is an extremely profitable business. So even though you have huge margin compressions right now with uh, FX headwinds, right? And the fact that growth has stalled quite a bit on the advertising side this year, um, the margin remains healthy. They remain healthy, right? 20%, uh, way down from uh, a year ago, but still healthy. Uh, and so the, the key aspect to look at on the top right of the chart is to see where does the profit come from? So 9.3 billion coming from family of apps, FOA, and a loss of 3.7 billion coming from Reality Labs. So right now there is this uh, anxiety among shareholders that uh, basically Zuckerberg may be burning the cash uh, due to shareholders eventually by investing so aggressively in Reality Labs. And so of course there are two takes here. The bull case is, well, he should be seeking a second act, right? Because uh, those apps are not gonna remain popular forever and they need to invest in the future. So that makes perfect sense. But at the same time, this is such a, a cash uh, generating business that you don't wanna put it to waste, right? And to destroy shareholder value with all these investments if there is a sense that this reality labs thing is not going anywhere, right? So that, that's where people are going to disagree. Uh, but overall, uh, the thing I will point out is there are a lot of moving pieces. That's the key is that it's not just a single app that moved the needle here. Uh, the ones I have really my eyes on are WhatsApp and Messenger, uh, mostly because of two, two ways those apps can really monetize more. Um, one is through ads, obviously, but also something that was announced during the Salesforce, um, Dreamforce event, which was a partnership for paid messaging. So allowing businesses to reach out directly um, to their customers. So something kind of similar to Twilio Engage as well. Uh, there are, uh, again, lots of potential here. The run rate on Messenger and WhatsApp is already at 9 billion annually uh, for these initiatives. So this is gonna be really meaningful over time. So Facebook, tricky in terms of uh, maintaining the same relevancy, but the other apps can take over. And, uh, you know, users are still here. They are not shifting to the metaverse just yet. There is barely anybody, less than half a million people on horizon. But users, uh, you know, 3. Point, uh, what was it, 3.7 billion across all apps. That's pretty much the entire planet. Uh, they are still here, still growing very slowly, but still there. And so the question is, will they remain around and will they shift uh, to, to other segments eventually, right? So Daniel, Bertrand, and even the chat, I've got a hunch and I really want to share it with you all. And I came to this like epiphany yesterday when I was looking into this. And I want to know if I'm crazy or if like we are seeing some crazy opportunity presented to us. So um, I'm going to run through it and I really want y'all's feedback. The, the stock price of Meta is down 75% from the recent all-time high in late 2021, you know, currently trading at levels we haven't really seen since 2015. And in 2015, the company was doing $18 billion in revenue, $3.7 in profits, and EPS was a buck thirty. 
2023, right, forward-looking uh, stock market, the company is going to do $123 billion in revenue, $21 billion in profits, and $7.82 in EPS, generally speaking. So we're seeing like a 7x, right, um, on their top and bottom lines. But despite this, right, their stock is still trading at the same price. So this means one of two things. It could mean Meta is massively undervalued today, or it means Meta was massively overvalued in 2015. And the two things I want to really call out is, you know, Meta is currently a $240 billion market cap company, but they're also sitting on $40 billion in cash and cash equivalents. So, you know, if we kind of strip that cash out, we think of the business of Meta is really worth $200 billion or about nine and a half times forward earnings on that $21 billion in, in 2023 profits, right? But this $21 billion in 2023 profits includes a $13.5 billion headwind of operating losses that goes straight to reality labs, right? Which means that their family of apps is paying for that reality labs business as you've very well, you know, illustrated here for us in that top right corner to operate at a loss. And so we, we can kind of back into the idea that the family of apps, you take that uh, 21 billion, you add the 13 and a half, is gonna do some 35 billion in operating profit, right? In, in 2023, which means you're only paying today six times family of apps earnings at this 200 billion market cap, assuming all that cash, right? So Facebook introduced Reality Labs to shareholders in August of 2020. And I promise I'm coming to a point. This is just the buildup, right? Facebook introduced Reality Labs to shareholders in August of 2020, which theoretically means that the company's earnings in 2019 were 100% family of apps uh, earnings, right? So, so uh, at their bottom in 2018, this Fed-induced rate hike sell-off, they were trading at 16 times earnings. Uh, average IPO EPS, is, I'm sorry, average, uh, you know, since IPO uh, in 20, I think it was 50, uh, 2013, rather, you know, they trade at 35 times earnings. So like, I just want to be clear, like Meta's stock price today is assuming just six times forward family of apps earnings, something that the market has historically priced at 35 times, but has never been below 16 times in history. Is this the new norm? Am I missing something? Is Reality Labs just like, it's it's just a, a, a dumpster that we're just burning our cash into? Like I... I just, if someone came up to me and said, Austin, do you want to invest in, you know, Instagram at six times profit? I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. Why not? Right. Six times. Like that sounds like a no brainer. Like what am I missing here, Bertrand? I feel like this is like just such a, I don't know. I think your, your, your thoughts are the ones of uh, so many investors right now on Wall Street and it's a polarizing stock, right? So you have like definitely about half of investors who would 100% agree with you right away here. Um, the, the key, the part that's really hard for me, I haven't bought any, phase. I own Meta in my portfolio, but I haven't bought it for the past uh, six years. Uh, the key is uh, there is a double whammy on, on Facebook and eventually on Instagram, which is uh, fewer impressions if users don't grow anymore and engage less because they spend more time on a more engaging app that is TikTok. Uh, and less revenue per impression because of the uh, end of the IDFA, of course, and app tracking transparency from Apple. So cha more challenges to monetize and less impressions overall if users come less, right? And so the biggest challenge with this is the so-called value trap, right? Are we looking at 
something that looks really impressive if you look at backward looking metrics, but at the same time, at the same time, five years from now, if Facebook is starting dwindling like five, uh, five percent users per year that go away because they, there are other shiny objects out there, then it will really put into question whatever we thought we were looking at in 2022, looking at the, the numbers uh, backwards. So mm -hmm. that, and that's why this is such an interesting company to look at, right? And that's why uh, I, I think, you know, that there is a very strong case to be made that uh, investing at today's valuation is gonna uh, deliver pretty great returns. But you could say that of a lot of stocks right now on the market, uh, maybe that have a higher valuation, but are growing like bonkers and uh, are going to rebound very, very well once we are in a different part of the cycle. So the real question is the missed opportunity, right? Meta is great right now, but other stocks are also 60%, 70% down from their previous high and more attractive than they've ever been. So that's, that's really, that's why I wouldn't look at Meta in a vacuum, uh, even though the opportunity is compelling, uh, I totally see your point. Bertrand, I, can, I couldn't, I'm, I agree with all of that, right? Like the whole thing that came to mind, Austin, when you, when you were kind of laying out your case is, and actually I was just talking to this, uh, our head of quantitative, uh, Stephen Kress here at Seeking Alpha yesterday about this company specifically. And, and we kind of came to the conclusion that this is almost like a value trap stock. Well, why is that? Well, because, I mean, all of growth is getting hit right now. This stock doesn't pay a dividend. It's trying to figure out where it's going next with its, its, lifespan as a company, right? If we already have three something billion people using these apps to Bertrand's point, like if people start leaving and impressions start falling and they haven't found a way to gather all of that data so that they can target ads at a higher cost, that's where you're going to, that's, I think what Wall Street is kind of freaking out a little bit is like, okay, you haven't really proven where we're going next. And therefore, why am I going to give you any valuation if I can not even know that, you know, who's to say that the four family of apps don't get crushed by 60% in the next four years. You know, there's always new apps being created. And we talked about YouTube shorts too, right? If people are leaving for YouTube shorts instead of watching reels. I think that's all the things that we got to consider when it comes to this company. Yeah, I think uh, I, I appreciate that. And I agree, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it's like this company was doing this and now it's doing this. And then now it's also spending all this money. It's like, okay, what, what's going on? Who, right? And, and to your point, Bertrand, like it's hard, you're right. We can't value this company in a vacuum. And at the end of the day, like, you know, the stock market is forward looking and it's, it's really hard to think about a world though, without this family of apps inside of it. Um, and I think to your point, Daniel, with the YouTube shorts, I think Mark shared with us that there was a 50% year over year or quarter over quarter, I think it's probably year over year increase in reels, 140 billion reels are shared every day um on you know facebook and, and instagram so like that's you know interesting as well i'm not over here pounding the table on on meta i want to make that very clear i'm just super interested in this valuation like what's really going on and you know why aren't people talking about this so uh i appreciate the perspective from both you guys and in, in the chat i really appreciate it yeah also want to jump in here real quick before we move on so stephanie sent us a little private request uh, question here it says how often is the quant being updated is it daily monthly it has not changed with the price increase so the quant system actually updates every single morning before the market opens i believe the algorithmic uh computers start running at like 4 a.m or something like that so some days it, it's it's done before the market's open that's the big point and all those factor grades all the quant rating systems the seeking alpha author ratings all of those are updated every single day not on a monthly basis. Wanted to make sure that we clarify that. And that's why we look at them. And that's why I pull them day of this show so that they're always up to date for when we're here. Um, Cole asked us, 
in recession economies, what is a fair multiple of revenue on a company like Facebook, aka Meta? Is it nine times, 10 times revenue still relevant with the upcoming headwinds, maybe a five or six times of revenue? Is that par now? Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Oh, I see. Awesome you go. No, I think it all depends on the margins, Colt. Good point. Yeah, I think, right. It's like, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, 10 times revenue. Like, that's like, you know, what your company is going to sell for. But it's like 10 times revenue if you only, like, what if you only have, though, you know, 10% gross profit margins? That's obviously not going to be the case, right? Um, but yeah, I think, I think it all just depends on the margins, but for, for Facebook, gosh, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I personally think, and this isn't really revenue, this is more earnings per share focus, but like the S and P during, um, bear markets has, has kind of averaged around this like 12 to 13, 14 times range. Um, so that, and again, that's, that's earnings, not revenue. So you got to kind of back into that, but, um, certainly less than what it's been in, in bull markets. I mean, that's, that's the only answer I really have. Bertrand, do you have a thought on that? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, interest rates are kind of dictating what is fair to pay at any point in time, and uh, they they move fast and they are cyclical. So what is true today will not be true six months or a year from now. So I would I would never look at valuation in a vacuum again, and I would say it's more about oh, what can you buy today at the same price, or if you pay more, but what do you get in return, right? So it's I, I care less about valuation standalone or even compared to where the company was at and more about, okay, what, what do I get today if I put the house to work? Uh, that, that would be my focus. Yeah, great point. I'm going to go ahead and hijack the screen real quick. I want to point this out as well. If you do have uh, access to Seeking Alpha Premium, you can go to here to the factor grades and underneath the meta growth tab, you can actually see, I just want to point this out, you're asking about revenue. Um, you know, forward revenue is currently around 12%. Historically, it's 5% right now. And the five-year average was 32 and 26, respectively. So obviously, that's what we're considering, right? There's obviously been an overall crush in revenue. And all of this is broken out. Metrics are compared to the sector against other uh, meta companies in the communication sector, I should say. Um, real quick, we're going to do a quick look at the chart just to make sure we squeeze that in here. Uh, where am I? There we go. All right, obviously, huge downtrend. We have re-entered the gap as of this morning uh, with the news about the layoffs. Obviously, cutting down your expenses always makes shareholders happy, um, but unfortunate that it has to happen, especially at a time like this with a possible recession incoming. So we'll keep an eye on that. So let's go ahead and keep the show moving. Let's go on to the next stock, which we have on deck, which is... What's up next, Josh? Why don't you go ahead and throw it up for us? I believe it's Apple. Go ahead and throw up that slide. Let's go through the rating summary real quick. Seeking Alpha authors have a hold. Wall Street analysts are a buy. Quant system is a hold. Factor grades. Next slide, please. Valuation is an F. Growth is a D minus. Profitability, A plus. Momentum, B minus. Revisions are a C minus. And next slide, so we can go ahead and look at this beautiful income statement. Bertrand, what should we really notice about this chart that you have here? Uh my the part that I focus on because you know my background is in the digital economy, so I'm very narrowly focused on services because they uh, they have a higher profit margin, right? So if you look at the the cost of revenue on the bottom uh, center, you can see that products, which are the, the hardware that we know and love, this is a thirty five percent gross margin profile. Meanwhile, services they do twice as well, right? Seventy percent gross margin profile. So with half of the revenue, you can can get as much gross profit, right? Simple. And so uh, even though services are only about 20% of Apple's revenue in uh, 
the full year, FY22, it was 33% of gross profit, so already a third of it. So uh, the, again, the story around Apple services being the, the bull case is not new, but it's really materializing right now. And uh, people might miss it on a quarter to quarter basis. Oh, it missed expectations or what have you. But really the, the trend is here uh, and here to stay. So for me, the, the way I think about it is hardware is the gateway right, to an ecosystem of services, of course. And so what will be key is to keep fueling that ecosystem. So one thing that Tim Cook mentioned that I think was very noteworthy was uh, he referred to switchers. Uh, so switchers is someone who would switch, for example, from a Pixel, Google Pixel to an Apple iPhone. And when you think about Apple's market share, it's about 15, 20% of the smartphone uh, market, depending on the quarter. And so the real untapped market is not people upgrading, it's people switching. That's really well the magic can happen for services. And so what they mentioned was a double digit growth in switchers. And I think that's very bullish for the company. Um, they, they mentioned that you know, people really desire their product, iPhone 14 Pros. There are supply constraints. Uh, supply constraints meaning people cannot buy them even though they want to. So similar to companies like Tesla, right? Um, and we have uh, 900 million paid subscription across the Apple universe. So that was almost a double in three years. Uh, so very bullish as well to see that people are embracing those services. Uh, well, another aspect that caught my attention was the overall health of the Apple business compared to their direct competitors. If you look at the, the current macro, it's actually pretty bad for smartphone makers. Uh, everybody was down year over year in the calendar Q3. So that's the fiscal Q4 for Apple. Uh, meanwhile, Apple actually uh, increased uh, its shipments by 6%. So not a huge growth, but uh, the only positive one that I could find in the top 10 manufacturers. So very bullish as well to see just that the quality pays off and that people are, are switching to Apple. Uh, the, the last uh, point I would make on the... On this chart is that underneath the services there is an item that apple doesn't break down which is advertising and so in a way there is that juicy payment from google to be the by default uh, search engine on apple devices this is probably close to five billion uh three to five billion per quarter at this point uh so this is a big chunk but there are other advertising revenues that that apple may be able to make down the line that includes uh, placement on its app store. For example, they have added a few things on the today page or things like uh, uh, things you might like, right? And uh, next year, they are supposed, this is a rumor, but they are supposed to launch more ads in Apple Maps. So we all know how Google Maps is a huge business. And if Apple can take a page of uh, Google's book and even the, just the way Amazon has been able, we're going to talk about this maybe in a minute, but the way these companies have been able to play the advertising game, if Apple can embrace it, the services revenue, I think, can be really uncapped. Uh, so that, that's really the way I, I think about it. People think hardware first, but underneath it, there is really like a long thesis developing.
I'm right there with you, man. Right. They had a wonderful quarterly print record performance driven by iPhone and Mac. And despite this tougher macro environment and these FX headwinds, the company maintained their profit margins and revenue growth in these emerging markets. And to your point, these leading indicators, right? Active installed base, paid subscribers, new users, those switchers, right? They're all looking healthy. Um, I think it's going to result in market share gain in the coming quarters and coming years. Uh, but I, I think it's important to note, though, that Apple's not immune from challenging macro environments. They have a superior product. Um, and, and, you know, the value of that product and the user experience and pricing power, though, despite a challenging environment, will allow them, you know, to, to have strong pricing power, stable margins, and uh, share gain likely in the medium term. So we're definitely on the same page. I would love to ask the opinion of both of you, as well as everybody listening that's, you know, jumping in the chat, let me know what you think. But I continue to think we talk about the devices, right? We get, you get the devices, once it's in your hand, you're locked in, right? But I think there might be a silent killer for them. And by killer, I mean it in a good way, right? Like, I think a huge opportunity for them, which they've talked about in the past that hasn't been adopted as much as they had like, is Apple Pay. Do you guys think that that specific service could eventually translate over into a huge revenue driver for this company? It, it already does. It is part of services. So, you know, in, the, in my graph, you have a little logo at the bottom left. That's the Apple Wallet logo. And that's basically, that includes Apple Pay. So uh, uh, to your point, unfortunately, they don't break it down. So there is no way for us to know if Apple Pay is already really huge or not, if I had to. To bet it is already huge, right? Because uh, you would agree. Uh, I remember a little while ago, Tim Cook said it's not as big as they like. I mean, obviously, they want it to be the biggest thing, but I mean, with they're turning iPhones into payment terminals, right? They're they're definitely. We talked about this with the PayPal Square. You know, there's there's new payment providers coming up trying to take away these legacy systems that we're aware of. And if they can do it and charge a little bit less service fee to the businesses, I mean, I, there could be a huge adoption. And I think if you already have the device in your hand, what is it? You press the, the button twice and Apple Pay pops up and you boop and you're gone. Like, I think that's going to be huge. I agree. I, I find myself using Apple Pay more and more. I've got all of my debit cards, credit cards, all that stuff logged into my Apple wallet, right? I remember when they first launched, I was like, what the heck is this? I'm not going to use this. But now every time I buy anything online, I double click. It's like Apple Pay, share email. It's, it's, so, it's so simple right there with you. I think it's going to be bigger. I think it's a lurking killer. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and go on to the next slide, Josh. Let's keep this thing going since we're coming up on the hour. I want to make sure we get through all of these. So uh, we still got Alphabet and we still got Amazon. So Alphabet, the rating summary breaks down like this. Seeking Alpha authors are by Wall Street. Analysts are a strong buy, and the quant holding system is a strong buy currently as today. Factor grades breaking it down. Valuation's a little bit high. Uh, growth is a C. Profitability, A+. Plus. Momentum, C. Revision, C-. minus. Let's go ahead and check out this beautiful visual. What should we be pointing out right now about Google? Uh, similar to uh, Apple, there is a, a specific segment that uh, catch my attention, and for me, it's Google Cloud. Uh, Fastest growing segment, 38% growth year over year. This is in yellow at the bottom. Uh, so Google Cloud did well this quarter because uh, Microsoft Azure, they don't break it down necessarily the same way, but Azure was growing 35% year over year and AWS grew 28% year over year. So Google Cloud was actually the only top three uh, cloud infrastructure platform to gain market share. They gained one point uh, quarter to quarter. So uh, doing well, they improved also their margin profile for that segment. They're still losing money on that segment, but they improved by several points. 
So they are doing well. They are mixing it with Google Workspace. So it's again not perfect comparisons, right? But we we take what we have. Uh, overall, you know, they face the same advertising headwinds as Meta and other platforms that rely on ads. Uh, but really, what I focus on is how they use AI to power their ecosystem and improve engagement and improve the kind of results you get because this is what's going to retain people in their ecosystem. You know, they mentioned uh, something like, I think it was 8 uh, billion requests on Google Lens. I don't know if you guys have used Google Lens before. This is amazing. Uh, you just take a, a picture of something, they will give you a result and show you what it is or what to find, where to find online an equivalent of the photo you just take. Uh, you just took so I, I love how AI is really powering the entire ecosystem. Um, namely, well, you're all familiar, I think, with the DALI, DALI 2 uh, generative AI. So, Imagine is the name of it for, for Google. It's very impressive, it generates tremendous results. You can only imagine how, if they can start creating images out of uh, just uh, things you like maybe a color maybe a sports team you name it and it can serve an ad to you that is actually completely tailored to you and your taste the monetization potential is is really high um so i like how just the, the investments they put in ai is often compared to the shift to mobile that that was one of uh, uh um, the reference of management during the call where ai is going to be really leading the way uh, for them and so highly profitable business really just a, a big machine here. Uh, I, I love it. Uh, it's one of my biggest positions. And even though there are ad headwinds for the foreseeable future, right? Uh, I think underneath it, there is like a huge potential long-term in AI to hard to replicate for competitors. And of course, Google Cloud gaining market share is nice to see. I think they pull it off. What do you think, Austin? Oh yeah, they pull it off. I, it's, it's, you know, I'm going to save all my remarks here because I don't want to run up on time, but my conclusion is, you know, trends are pointing down in the near term, but with that being said, I'm buying the weakness. It's Google, right? I mean, they, you, we know where Google's going. We know what they've done. We know what they can accomplish. We know where, where things are headed. Um, I'm buying weakness on Google every day of the week. Nice. I, I mean, I agree with you. I think this company is continued to innovate. It has made a great acquisition with YouTube. Of course, advertising spends being pulled back. YouTube's getting hit with that. Um, Matthias here in the chat says, can Apple restrict Google in any way, the same way they did with Facebook? I think you got to remember Matthias. I mean, obviously, Apple's anti-tracking went across everyone. But also, Apple and Google already have their partnership where Google pays. Isn't it Google pays Apple every year to be the, the primary search engine for phones? Is that right? That's right. So... 10, 15 to 20 billion, if I had to guess, uh, uh, is paid by Google to Apple. And that could be uh, that could be a challenge. If Apple ever decided, you know what, I'm going to do search now, or we can talk about, we can have a show when that happens. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, that would be like huge news though. Uh, so we would obviously have to. Um, so you guys are asking, where can you find all these charts? App Economy Insights, guys. Obviously, Bertrand, he started this not too long ago, and it is blowing up. You guys got to go look this up. And I'm like, these are only a few of the charts that he's done. Like, he, you put out literally, like, what is it? Airbnb, Warner Discovery. You've been crushing it. Like, I can't even keep up with all of it. Um, but let's go ahead. Like I said, we're getting to the end of the time. Let's go ahead and get into this last one of Amazon. Let's go ahead and go to the next slide, please, Josh. Rating summary, Seeking Alpha. Seeking alpha authors have a buy on the stock. Wall Street analysts have a strong buy, but the quant system is a hold at this moment in time. 
Factor grades break down as evaluation D minus, growth B minus, profitability A plus, momentum D plus, and the revisions are a C plus at this time. Let's go ahead and look at the last beautiful economy app chart of the day. So obviously Amazon's diversified like crazy, like all these other companies we've been talking about, all the different arms. What should we be pointing out here, Bertrand? All right. Well, I know we are short on time and we could do an entire show about Amazon. This is very hard for me, but uh, I, I will point out to uh, three things that are driving Amazon's future. Uh, and for me, that's AWS, of course. It could justify the entire valuation of the company, arguably. Uh, Esther's growing segment, uh, slower than it used to be. And people have been spooked a little bit by the slower growth. I think in particular, um, Next quarter is expected to be only 20% growth for AWS based on the run rate in September. So that spooked a lot of investors. Uh, now you have to consider that the way Amazon works is they want to focus on the customer. This is the absolute must for them. And so what are they doing right now? They are helping their business customers uh, in the cloud segment to spend less. They are actively helping, the, this is important. They are helping their customers spending less on their platform so that they can retain them long-term. Uh, everybody is trying to save money right now. And so they want to help their customers do that because they know that it will pay off down the line. So very lovely to see. They, I think they are making the right call here. And uh, we, we have to look beyond the cycle that we're facing right now. In two, three years, AWS is gonna maintain a, a healthy growth rate. They have not lost market share, right? Google gained, but Apple did not lose market share this quarter in the cloud infrastructure uh, market. Uh, so very lovely to see. Uh, the second one is advertising, of course. Second fastest growing, 25%, very high margin. This could really turn everything around amazon.com into a powerhouse in terms of margins. They continue really implementing new things. Um, and so I, I think it will continue. And of course, subscriptions in general, I think, it was a, uh, there was a study recently, it's a, on my Twitter page that referred to the least likely subscription services to be cut to, that people would cut back on due to inflation uh, is Amazon Prime. That's the least likely to be cut uh, because why would you do that, right? It saves you money, uh, it's very important and it gives you all these other services that are optional, but people are not gonna cut back on Amazon Prime. This is really part of our lives still large untapped market in Europe. So uh, I think the potential is here. And so what you have to do though, is to kind of like ignore or accept that margins are going to be razor thin for foreseeable future. Free cash flow is gonna look ugly because they are doing all these CapEx, right? Uh, investing in growth. So I wrote an article uh, that's free about Amazon on, on um, uh, my website where I cover in detail why the free cash flow in question is not a concern because they could stop investing. The only reason why they, are, they have those razor thin margins and struggle with the cash flow is because they choose to invest aggressively into their, in their future. And it may not work out, but if you look at the past 20 years, uh, it's been doing pretty well for them when they followed that strategy, right? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I mean, it's always day one at Amazon, right? Isn't that what they say? Awesome. What are your thoughts on Amazon right now? I mean, there's so much we could pack. And like you mentioned, there's could be an entire episode, but just off the top of your head, what are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything Bertrand's saying, right? Uh, AWS saw growth of 27%. It was less than the 30% that people expected, but this likely isn't much a, you know, a theme, right? We're not going to see like, oh, it's all slowing down, right? That's that's not the case here. You know, uh, they're certainly going to survive just fine. And, and 
it, it makes a lot of sense to your point, Bertrand, about people saving money, right? This is a, a down cycle. People are going to be dumping millions and millions and millions of dollars into this cloud infrastructure. So let's just retain these customers as we can. And then finally, right, the good news here is Amazon has slowed uh, their shipping costs per unit. CapEx spend seems to stay flattish. They're poised for wonderful margin expansion when macro environment improves. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's a playbook. They're following the playbook. It, we're in a bear market when, you know, these macro uncertainty, they know they've done this two, three times before. They, they know exactly what they're doing. I'm here for it. It's a good take. Great point. All right, guys, let's go ahead and say thank you to Bertrand for spending so much time breaking us down through Disney, Facebook, Meta. Sorry, I still call it Facebook. Apple, Amazon, Google, we appreciate you so much. I mean, the guy, go check him out on App Economy Insights if you haven't already. Obviously, there is so many other companies. These charts just help you visualize it. If you're anything like me, I just love looking at the visuals. Obviously, you get it broken down by departments, the revenue growth. You put it right there in the parentheses so we know when they're losing money and making money. Um, can't thank you enough. So thank you, thank you, thank you for hanging out. And everybody in the chat is popping off right here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I hope you see that as well. Because this is just so valuable. This is so valuable. So thank you, Bertrand. We hope you have a great rest of the week. Anything else you want to say before uh, we hop out of here? No, that was great. Really enjoyed chatting with you, Austin, Daniel. It was lovely. And, uh, you know, you can follow me on the Economy app at Twitter, on Twitter, just if you want to see more of these beautiful charts. Uh, and, yeah, that was fun. Awesome. Well, we're going to go ahead and get on out of here. Everybody have a great rest of the day. Have a great rest of the week. Careful with the... What are we at? Like 5% of earnings left. Luckily, it's over for almost the quarter. Disney hurt. Not going to lie. It was really bad to see that one. But everybody have a great rest of the week. Remember the crypto webinar next week. And besides that, we'll see you on Stock Market Live next Wednesday. Same time. Still me and Austin, our beautiful faces, and we get to hang out with you. So take care, everybody. Have a great day. Josh, get us on out of here.